0: Open your Bibles please to Isaiah 53. Those of you with allergies should be careful of the dust as we turn to Isaiah. Actually unless you've been reading the through the Bible thing and then you might be in Isaiah right now. Oh, I am I have been gearing up for a project at my house. Uh, been there six years we're down to two projects sort of two and a half to uh, finish what we have intended to do and and, uh, this one though uh, next week Timber Brinkley is coming to preach and that's probably a good thing because I might not be able to walk by next week I'm not sure (laughs) I'm gonna build a retaining wall on the south side of my house there and uh, move a lot of heavy blocks and so if any of you are really spiritual, you'll come and help me. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how uh, Huck Finn did that when he got all those people to work for him. Paint the fence, you know, I- I, uh, I used to try with my neighbor next door. I had a young, uh, a single guy living across the street, and every time I was splitting wood, I'd holler out to him, "I've got a free workout program over here. No membership fees. Uh, we'll build your muscles." Try as I might, I just can't get other people to do my work. Labor Day is a celebration of work, celebration of labor, of the of the value of labor of of the importance of labor. And we all know that we have to work if we want to be rewarded with a paycheck, or we have to work if we want to have a project done at home. But today, if you notice the title of my sermon, I'm calling that an Unlabor Day celebration. Because today, on the day that we uh, not only think or this weekend as we think about labor, but as we think about the Lord's Supper, we have the opportunity to say, Christ worked for me. And to celebrate the fact that we don't have to work in regard to the forgiving of our sins. And so I want to read from a familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to read at length, but we're going to focus in on just... Uh, one part of this text from Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, it's talking about Jesus, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken." And they have made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul. Wonderful chapter is about Christ and, and his work on the cross, the work of salvation. And verse 11 is the verse that we want to key in on today and on just one concept here. It says, God shall see the labor of Jesus' soul and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities the labor that we want to talk about today the labor that we get to benefit from is the labor of Christ to pay for our sins God saw the labor of Christ's soul and was satisfied in order to understand this we need to look at God's demand we need to understand why Christ want, why God wanted Christ to labor. Why would he be happy with Christ dying on the cross? And it starts with understanding God's demand, which is punishment of sin. God is a righteous God, and when he created us, from the very beginning, he said, look, I want you to live according to my will. If you don't, there will be punishment. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God told mankind, he said, If you sin, you will be punished. In particular, this this punishment involved two aspects of death. If you look at it in the original Hebrew language, it says something like this. If you do this, dying, you shall die. The visible kind of death that we see is physical death. God didn't create mankind to die. Those people today who will tell you that death is a normal part of life are only saying it's usual. It's consistent. It comes with the territory. But it's not normal as in God wanted it to be so. But not only is there physical death, there's spiritual death. Dying, you shall die. Then Adam said to him, then then God said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. God set up a plan he told Adam and Eve about it before they sinned. He's not capricious or unfair so that he comes along after the fact and then says, no, you shouldn't have done that. No, right up front, he said, here's the standard. Obey me. You, can, you need to have children. You need to rule the earth. You need to tend the garden. And there's one thing not to do. One thing. Those people who call God unfair need to really look at this situation. Think about Adam and Eve's condition. A perfect marriage. I mean two people with no sin, no background, no in-laws. No children. No weeds, no house that needs to be fixed a perfect environment and a temperate climate. They were naked and not ashamed. Some Bible scholars looking at all of Bible truth thinks they might've been clothed with light. It's possible that they couldn't actually see each other's nakedness because of being clothed with light. Either that or they just weren't ashamed at all. It was a perfect environment. It was a perfect world. And God said, there's one thing, there's one thing you cannot do. And Adam and Eve, as typical human beings, if any of us were in their place, we would have done the same thing. We would have went, hmm, there's something missing in my life. It must be that thing. And so they sinned. And God said, I told you if you sinned, you were going to die. And now you're going to die. What is God's attitude towards sin? Some folks tend to be too harsh and some folks tend to be too lenient as they would understand God. I hope, today is, I hope you will consider the whole, the whole teaching of Scripture today and not any one particular part. But it's important for those of us in our American society that likes to give everybody a pass on everything that we understand this truth. God says this, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. There was a particular problem in Israel that God was addressing here, and and he was saying, Look, I'm not going to, if your dad's righteous, it's not going to help you a bit, nor if your dad is wicked, is it going to hurt you. It's about you and the soul that sins, it shall die. There's no curve with God. You know, a few people get an A and a few people get an F, and everybody else slides in the middle. There's no curve with God. God is a just God, and he is angry with the wicked every day. Is that part of your image of God? God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, does God act out of anger? toward the wicked every day. No, he doesn't act out of anger, but what is God's perspective on sin in the world and on those who commit sin as unbelievers? It's this, that he is angry with the world every day, with the, with the, with the wicked every day. First Peter 5, 5, be clothed with humility for God resists the proud. Adam and Eve were proud. They said, we're going to do what we're going to do. And God can just go hang it on his beak. Now, they didn't say that, but that's what they did. And when we choose to walk in sin, we are choosing a prideful path. We're saying, God, your path isn't good enough. I'm going to walk on my path. And the net result of that is that God resists. Literally, one of the ways this word was used is talking about going to war. Football season has started. How about that Jake Locker? Yes. Doing Ferndale proud. I think he got knocked over on the first play because football players resist each other. That's what it's about. It's about, you know, however many of them are on the line, there's 11 total on each side, and the one side is resisting the other. Picture, picture yourself on the football line got carried away there picture yourself on the football line with you looking nose to nose with God do you think you're going to win one thing I learned from football not from playing but from observing with my son's coaches the low man wins it means the guy who gets down low and explodes high he's going to win The guy who hits the bottom, he's going to take that guy out. Do you think you're going to be that guy? Or is God going to be that guy? God resists the proud. In Romans 5.10, unbelievers, folks who have never come to faith in Christ, are called the enemies of God. Wow, that's harsh. That does not set with our American society. But you've got to get a mental picture on God's perspective. Here's a bill. Somebody's building a house, buying a bunch of knobs. Can you imagine if if we were able to project up to there your bill with God? Before you come to Christ as your Savior, God is keeping a bill. And it's got a list of every sin you have ever done. And down at the bottom, the amount due is your life, your eternal punishment. And even that won't pay the bill. You will just suffer because of the bill. That is how God thinks about sin and sinners before they come to faith in christ that is part of how god thinks about them but thankfully it's not the only way he thinks about them and it's we even we see this right from the beginning with adam and eve if we were to say what is god's desire god's desire is not to send anyone to hell First Timothy chapter Two tells us very clearly it is god 's desire for people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. How do we see that worked out in the Bible? Well, first of all, we see it worked out in the way that God treated Adam and Eve. How did God treat them? They sinned, and he came and confronted them. He told them they 'd done wrong. He pronounced a temporal punishment as well as a, a longer or i should say a short term and a long term punishment, but did he execute judgment and send them to hell on the spot because they'd sinned no he was gracious and he covered them with animal skins he covered their nakedness now there were consequences to their sin which God did not take away in fact we are living with the consequences of their sin like thorns and thistles that were not in the world in God's creation, but they came because of sin and because of God's punishment on mankind. God's desire is seen in his treatment of Adam and Eve. He did not kill them and make two more people and try again. He said, I'm going to be gracious with you. God's desire for salvation of sinners is also seen in his treatment of Israel. Israel. God chose the people of Israel in the Old Testament, starting with Abram, and then his name became Abraham, and then out of him eventually came these millions of people, the Jewish people that are still with us today, and even when they walked away from God, and God had specifically warned them, if you walk away from me, there will be consequences, and so there were consequences, but God never quit trying to reach them. God's desire is also seen in, his, in his, the treatment of his people at the first coming. In other words, when Jesus came to earth and he personally ministered, if you look at how he treated people there, it tells you something about how he's treating us today. And this is right after Christ has come, he's lived, he's been uh, crucified, buried, resurrected, gone back to heaven. Now the apostles are, are standing up to speak to the people of Jerusalem right after, this is 50 days after the crucifixion. And here's what they say. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, when the people who crucified Christ heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people came to faith in Christ when the first sermon was preached on the first day of the church. Now this tells me something about God, because in this crowd of people that they were preaching to were the multitudes of Jewish folks from Jerusalem who stood around going, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Now, I don't know whether any of the leaders, the Pharisees, who actually were behind what we would call the plot to kill him, I don't know if they were in the crowd or not. But I know there were many, many people joining in that chant to crucify Christ. And now some of those people appear to be standing here. And what does God do? Does he reach down and go, you crucified Jesus, you go to hell. You, cruc- you go to hell. Does he do that? Or does he reach down and say, you know what, folks? You were wrong about Jesus Here's the truth, and the apostles share the truth from the Old Testament. And here's a chance for you to change your mind, to repent. That's what the word means. And so while God hates sin, while he's angry with sinners, he loves them, and he wants them to be saved. I've been very angry with my dog this week. My dog is 11 years old. He should know better. We have a temporary fence on one side of our house because for some time I've been anticipating this project, which will result in a more completed end fence, you know, finished look on the end of the property there. And so the neighbor had put some fence up, and I'd put some up, and it's just temporary, kind of a chicken wire thing, or a little better than chicken wire, you know. And for some period of time now, probably a year it's been just fine but this week my dog decided he was getting out he's breaking free you know steve mcqueen getting out of the jail you know whatever it is and and so he found a way and he pushed under the fence and got out you know I, i came home on monday from my morning routine and there he is sitting in the yard hey dad how you doing And I think, yeah, my wife, she messed up. She left the dog out, you know. So I put him back inside, and, and then I had to go maybe to town or something. And I came back, and he comes out, and he goes, hey, what's happening? <laughs> Son of a gun. Now, I don't care if my dog runs around, okay. But I care that my neighbors care about my dog running around and him leaving the evidence of being in their yard and all that kind of thing. And he scares some people, even though he's only part pit bull, you know, all that kind of stuff. Man, so I'm I'm plugging. I'm trying to. I'm looking at the fence. How's he getting? I'm, you know. And finally, yesterday, I built a whole new temporary fence that'll accommodate this project this week. And he's, now he's he's back to laying in the backyard like the lame old man that he is. <sighs> real tempting to think some real bad thoughts about him. <laughs> <laughs> couple times I wouldn't have mind just shooting him. Good thing I don't own a gun. But ultimately I don't because he's my dog and I love him. I want him to stay in the fence. It really is best for him and me. Folks, God hates sin, but he loves sinners. I know that's an old statement, but it's not trite. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness or slowness. But he's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come to change their mind. God hates sin. God said it would be punished. And ultimately, God will punish sin if it's not taken care of. And the wonderful thing that we're celebrating today is God's delight, which is the labor of Christ that pays for sin. Look at Isaiah, please, again, Isaiah 53, verse 4. What does it say about Christ in verse 4 and 5? Surely he has born he has taken on himself our griefs he has carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflictive but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was on him and by his stripes we are healed and that is not the healing of your physical body that is the healing of your soul And it's not feeling better about your lousy childhood. It's having your sin burden removed. So that you can be a child of God. Of being connected to Him. Of being ready for heaven. And available to receive His help today. The labor of Christ's soul was the taking on of our sin. Again, look at verse 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It delighted God to punish Christ instead of you. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. We could paraphrase it, instead of you. He has made his soul an offering for sin because you could never pay for your sin. He shall see his seed He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Turn with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written by King David, and no doubt it expresses the feelings of David's heart as he struggled in a number of ways, one of those ways for 20 years, was being pursued by Saul who was trying to kill him to keep him from taking the throne that God had given to David. David was God's anointed king, but Saul didn't want to give up. And so no doubt, David is writing about himself and he didn't realize he was actually writing the words that Christ would speak on the cross. And we see these words in the Gospels. Here we have it in fuller form. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. I cry in the night season, and you are and, and and I am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm. And no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb you made me trust while on my mother's breast I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb you have been my God be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help many bulls have surrounded me strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like wax It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of earth, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Me. That, my friend, is the labor of the soul of Christ. That's Christ. That's that's you hearing the conversation between Christ and God while He's on the cross. We see a few of those words when He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God made the earth dark and He poured out your sin onto Christ. For three hours. The thing that you have to understand, that the confusion that some people have is they think they could pay for their own sin and God says there's no way you could pay for your own sin. You could suffer for eternity and because you're unrighteous, it wouldn't matter a lick to my righteous judgment. But Christ being righteous and the son of God took on human flesh and was able to take The punishment of God going all the way to death and then being raised again victorious over death. And that labor that Christ went through pleased God. Did it please God because God is some kind of a sadist? No, not at all. It pleased God because he loved us. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the, the theological concept that we're working on today. The word propitiation means to appease or to satisfy. And it's the same concept from Isaiah fifty three eleven when it says God looks at the labor of Christ's soul and he is satisfied. God was not happy to make Christ suffer in and of itself, but he was happy to let Christ suffer so you wouldn't have to. Because God looked down at you, and he looked down at me, and he said, those folks will not be able to stand my punishment. And if I don't do something, they will go to hell. And they will be punished forever, and ever, and ever. And so God's delight is in letting Christ labor for us. He has come, and now he has satisfied God's righteous judgment, whom God sent forth, Jesus, whom God sent forth as a satisfaction of his wrath against sin, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed here's the wonderful truth that if you've never grasped you need to and it's this mercy and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed see God hates sin and God loves sinners and I hope you understand that I don't believe God was confounded when I say he's in a dilemma How can he bring together the truth that sin must be punished and the mercy that makes him not want to punish it? How can he do it? There's only one way he can do it, and that is for somebody else to suffer and pay for the sin. And when that happens, truth and mercy come together. Righteousness and peace kiss. And you are the beneficiary of, of this labor. C.I. Schofield, whose notes were the basis of the first study Bible, the Schofield study Bible said this, God is love and holiness, his highest attribute. His law is the expression of his holiness, the cross the expression of his love. And in the cross there is such a doing right by the moral order of the universe, such a meeting in the sinner's behalf of the inflexible demand of the law that the love of God may flow unhindered to the sinner with no compromise of his holiness. Folks, the person of Christ, his suffering, his work on the cross made it possible for God to let you into heaven because your sins can be forgiven. Now, there's a, further, there's a further element in this that I want you to consider. And as we think about the result of the work of Christ, we would say this. First of all, what does God declare? Because of the work of Christ, the work in which he satisfied the demand of God for punishment. First of all, salvation is available. 1 John 2.2 2 on the ground of this gospel, on the basis of 1 John 2, 2, the basis that God has saved us through the work of Christ. Unsaved people, people who have never believed in Christ as their Savior, are free to come by faith to God, knowing they will not be punished or reproved, but rather received and saved forever. Some of you may have wandered in here today thinking, what's a Baptist church about? And now you're thinking, oh, I knew it the duck gun, fire and brimstone. But the fire and brimstone comes with the extinguisher. The result of this God's hating of sin and, and the work of Christ is salvation is available. Yes, God will punish you in hell forever if you don't accept Christ. But yes, you can have your sins washed away. You can be a new person in Christ if you will believe. In the the book of Acts that we read there earlier, it says you need to repent. The word repent means to change your mind about the facts. Change your mind about who Christ was. He was the son of God and our savior. Change your mind about who you are. You're a sinner who cannot save themselves. Change your mind about faith, and that is you need to believe, not wait till you understand. Salvation is available. Secondly, salvation is free. Our attempts to labor for salvation are useless. We are like an unclean thing, and all our our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. You know what the best rendering in modern... Understanding of a filthy rag would be a dirty diaper. I didn't change my diapers when my kids were young. That was women's work. <laughs> now I'm enlightened. It'll be my daughter's job to change my grandson's diapers <laughs> and her husband's job. <laughs> when you try to earn salvation, God goes, that stinks. That's how he receives it. He doesn't look down and go, hey, nice try. Give it another shot. He doesn't pat you on the back and say, well, that's better than living ungodly. He looks down and he says, you are a stinky thing, but you can be a sweet-smelling sacrifice to me if you will put your faith in Christ. Our attempts to labor for salvation are useless. You know, if somebody came along today and said to you, "I'm going to give you a paycheck every week," how much do you need? Oh, about two thousand a week will do it. I'm going to give you a paycheck every week. You just show up here on Friday. I'm going to hand you a paycheck. Well, what do I have to do? Just show up on Friday. You'd go, yes. That's what the lottery is all about. People, you know, somebody won the four people won this three hundred and thirty million dollars Super Bowl lottery which means there were millions of other people who lost. (laughs) They're not going to work anymore. They're going to get a check every week for nothing. Who wouldn't take that deal? And yet, when I stand up here and say salvation is free, God has provided it, all you need to do is believe in Christ as your Savior, admit that you're a sinner, and so on, and I say, God will give you salvation. Some people walk away going, i got to work for it. I want to work for it. I want to go to a church that's going to beat me over the head with guilt every week and and make me do things and do things and do things so that maybe I can earn salvation. God says, you don't need to do that. In fact, it won't work. It's useless. Our attempts to labor for salvation are useless because a sinful person cannot do a righteous deed. It can't happen. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, extortioners. A sinful person cannot do a righteous thing. But our attempts to labor for salvation are, are also unnecessary. Not only will they not work, but they're Unnecessary when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior one year on a break from college my mom got me a job with a bank it was just a short you know two three week long deal I was working with the boss's son, and the first thing he told me was, the key to this job is make it last. In other words, don't work too hard, don't work too fast. In other words, it was a perfect George Costanza dream job. But apparently I worked too hard and too fast because I got let go, and he kept working. Friends, God has made salvation free. No work and all benefit. Salvation is available. Salvation is free. Salvation is simple. Beyond these facts that we have discussed today, God doesn't ask you to understand or to know any other things. He asks you to believe. The classic verse being this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not he who understands everything about God, not he who does a whole bunch of good works, but the one who believes will be saved. Next July, we're going to have two residents from the shepherd's home come to our church along with um, one of the uh, administrators there. And if you are new to our church, the Shepherd's Home is a place for where retarded adults live. And it started out as a home for children, and all those kids grew up. And now I don't know how many folks they have there a couple of hundred. And they provide living for them and jobs and everything. And, and they have chapel services and they teach them the Bible. And these people can't read or write, but they know God's Word and they know Christ as their Savior. And you're going to get a chance to see that firsthand. And see them quote scripture and know the truth of God. And we think, how is that possible? It's possible because they believe. If anybody has childlike faith, we're too smart for that. And so we go on trying to earn our salvation. But we don't have to. We need to believe God has made salvation simple. There's one more thing, one more burden on my heart this morning, and that's this. Salvation is thorough. What do I mean by that? Listen to these verses. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, does that verse say we have the forgiveness of some sins? And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you some of your trespasses? Or did he forgive them all? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from almost all unrighteousness. No, he cleanses us from all. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven. What sins did God not forgive what sins will God not forgive none he forgives them all you see as many of us as have come to Christ as our Savior we know that salvation is free we know that that what we need to do is believe but sometimes we get to thinking you know there's this thing that I did and somehow I've got to make that up to God I know that he forgives all this stuff, but you know, this thing here, this was really, really bad. I mean, I've known people that tried to commit suicide because somehow they're trying to punish themselves because they believe they've done bad things that can't be forgiven. Friends, when God says he forgives, he forgives all of our sin, Labor Day tomorrow is the last lazy day of summer. We hope it'll be summery. We celebrate labor by doing nothing. What a glorious holiday. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of labor in which we do nothing. We eat the bread, we drink the juice, and we say, thank you, Christ, Thank you for saving my soul. I'm going to sing a song to give you a chance to meditate on God's truth. If you're here today and you've never believed in Christ as your Savior, you can do it sitting where you are, talk to God, let Him forgive your sin. If you're here today struggling with a sin, receive God's forgiveness today. Bear with me in prayer. Is there a sin you need to confess? Maybe you're guilty because you won't confess. You won't admit. You won't come to God and say, Oh God, take this away. It's wrong. I did it. He wants to forgive. Is there a sin you won't let go of? Somehow you think you're going to have to do something to please him. Let go of that today confess the sin of not receiving forgiveness and say oh god thank you for forgiving my sin heavenly father you are so good to us you tell us exactly where we stand and what you where you stand and and you tell us how to make things right between you and us and we're so thankful for that may our hearts be completely in tune with you as we come to this table and and rejoice in the forgiveness of our sin purchased by the labor of Christ. I pray in Christ's name, amen.